You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we've invited Michael Moose and Anton Tarasov from Crypto Briefing to discuss how to do fundamental analysis in crypto. A crazy concept. Enjoy learning a little bit about it. Welcome back, one and all. Hopefully, you had a good little conversation in the breakout rooms there. If, uh, if you're new, that might have been very confusing. Um, so I'll do this. So I'll give you a little agenda so you can know what to expect. This is Diffuse Tap. It is a weekly virtual event. This is number 78, which is crazy um, to think about. But yes, so what we're going to do, we're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. And then we're going to have a fireside chat with our expert speakers du jour. You'll have an opportunity to put Q&A questions into the chat. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, pretty similar to what you just experienced. And the reason for that is because, well, we're first and foremost a networking event. So 45 minutes, you break into small groups of four or five, just to let serendipity do its thing. What are you working on? What's going on? We usually get three or four continents represented every, every week here. And as you can see, it's a pretty diverse group. So hopefully something comes out of it. But we do want you to come away with a little bit of new knowledge. So that's why we have our fireside chat with our expert speakers in the inside section, which will start in just a minute. And for all of you who are going to be in Miami at the weekend, or actually early next week, November 30th, we'll, uh, Will Walker uh, will be hosting an event down at the Biscayne Brewery. So if you're in Miami uh, for Art Basel or anything else, make sure to check that out. And I will also be there, one of my rare non-virtual like ways to communicate. Uh, usually I just kind of stay in front of my computer all the time. But why do we do that? Diffuse is an alternative fund incubator. So we try to find high alpha, more esoteric investment strategies, and then turn them into more institutional grade fund vehicles. We're primarily focused on digital assets right now, hence the audience and the experts have kind of skewed that direction recently. Um, but we do have two, one, two funds that are DeFi funds, pretty far down the rabbit hole, just generating yield, doing market making, bridge, deck staking, wherever we can see the opportunity on largely non-Ethereum chains. One's market neutral, one's market long. So if you would like to learn a little bit more of that strategy, do not be shy with it. So that, today's speakers, um, and I'm really bad with introductions, so I'm just going to say their names and let them introduce themselves. So Mitchell Moose and Anton Tarasov. Uh, Mitchell, do you want to unmute and maybe tell us a little bit about your background in, in crypto briefing? Sure. Uh, well, just just the, the big story is I've been a crypto degenerate since 2017. Got in as a prolific cryptocurrency miner. I've been working in cryptocurrency startups since. Um, I used to work in software, then moved over to journalism, was the editor-in-chief at two separate crypto publications as uh, just doing technical journalism. And I've been appointed CEO of Crypto Briefing like some 12 or 13 months ago. Okay. Welcome, welcome. Well, thanks for joining us. And Anton, do you want to add a little bit on your background and uh, what your role is there? Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm pretty similar to Mitchell. Uh, so I started uh, 2017 and then got involved with uh, a traditional slash crypto comp uh, company uh, brokerage. I uh, worked there for a while and then uh, switched to uh, writing. And that's how I got with uh, ICO drops. You may have heard of them at that time. And uh, after that, I uh, joined Crypto Briefing as a researcher and has been there ever since. Beautiful. Well, uh, now that we have you both here, I think it's time to start grilling on the questions. Um, everyone who has joined, don't feel free to pop some questions of your own into the chat, please. Um, but we'll start with... What does fundamental research actually mean in the crypto world versus traditional finance? 
what is different? What's similar? How should we be thinking about fundamental research in the crypto universe? And uh, either one or of Start off nice and easy. Yeah. Yeah, so, Mitchell, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when people think of fundamentals, they're typically thinking of like discounted cash flows and, and aspects of a business, like how many customers they have, what's their rate of growth, um, what's the, the, the overall valuation, like either from fully diluted valuation or just a, um, even just like a market capitalization and using all those factors to try to assess what the real value of a business or an organization is. Now for cryptocurrency, that's quite a bit different because it doesn't really have a list of fundamentals that you can look at. Most of the time, the cash flows are, are uh, irregular or they're going to be highly difficult to model because of the nature of working in most crypto projects are networked, so they grow exponentially and quite suddenly when they do take off. The second part of that is there's no, sometimes they're not even an organization that people can invest in from an equity standpoint. If this is purely kind of a self-organized community like SushiSwap or one of these other DeFi projects, there isn't really something, a company that you can even get equity in. The way that you can get exposure is through building on top of this protocol or through getting access, exposure through some sort of token that has some, um, some buyback or dividend or some sort of cash flow aspect to it of it baked in. And then you can maybe model the value of that from a fundamental perspective. But at, at Crypto Briefing, most of what we do is evaluate early stage crypto projects and help people construct portfolios to generate alpha. So not just systemic exposure to the crypto market, but trying to get market beating returns, particularly in smaller altcoin projects or through yield farming. So when we, when we do fundamental research, usually it's things like assessing product market fit, um, the strength of a community, how experienced the founders are, and things that really lend to this component of, oh, will this project be able to intelligently take advantage of network effects to build their communities and take this from a bottom-up approach of, starting from the customers who are stakeholders in the company and building a product that they care about and then being able to monetize that product to give value back to those original um, stakeholders and investors. Oh, I'm trying to unmute myself. Um, that is, okay, that's interesting. I like that approach. Uh, it's kind of unique, super hard to quantify, um, obviously. But then the flip side question to that is, uh, how, how do we say this politely? Crypto, maybe the pricing doesn't really reflect reality all the time. There's a lot of uh, maybe just sentiment-driven uh, ups and downs. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts and how do you kind of factor it or do you into your more fundamental approach? Um, and maybe Anton, just because we've heard a lot from uh, Mitchell, you want to take that one? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree with you on the point that uh, sentiment uh, matters a lot. And the uh, later we are in the cycle, the more it matters because uh, when uh, the bear uh, market is in, uh, is a full steam, the the community is shrinks a lot, and only diehard OGs are left. And diehard OGs understand things; uh, they don't buy stories. They can look through, like they can laser eye through everything like marketing and stuff and understand the value of the projects they're looking at. And that's why it becomes increasingly difficult for projects to just uh, make a, a strategies which involve heavily market, uh, heavily rely on marketing and don't have uh, solid products be, uh, underneath that. So, the, uh, so what happens is uh, 
you you need to you need to think as the uh, uh, the the end user, uh, and w when the bull market is full steam, then the end user uh, generally does not have capacity to understand the product, to understand the tech, and that's why they buy stories rather than the working products. And there is a, a meme in the space, and I think it it actually was it actually started in the startup world when the uh, actual cash flows appear they kill that dream because you can speculate a lot on what's possible once the protocol start starts working and starts generating usage you can look at uh, the numbers and uh, they may not be as uh, good as they were portrayed and that's where it starts to collapse really and so that's why uh again the later it is in the cycle the more sentiment matters and it gets to the point where you may uh, rely like 90 percent on the sentiment and choose based on so-called fundamentals rather than fundamentals but then you you should uh be responsible with uh the time frames because the, uh, once the uh, the momentum is gone and it reverses back, then that's where you need to be out of projects which you do, do not think necessarily have strong team, strong community, etc. Love that, Wait. especially you have your uh, comment about the when you're pre-revenue, anything's possible. Harks back to a Silicon Valley episode. Uh, <laughs> just don't don't get revenue. What are you doing? That's silly. It's, uh, uh, Good example of that is like Cardano, where they were they've been in the honeymoon phase for some two or three years, and now that they've actually started to ship smart contracts, people realize that there's a lot of complications, and now they can't hide under this veil of we don't have a product yet. Right. Um, anything's possible when the product has actually been shipped. People are just like, oh man, my expectations are up here, and it's the product's all the way down here. <laughs> That's funny. And Mitchell, as you're going, do you want anything you want to add to Anton on the whole like uh, not necessarily trade off, but difference between the sentiment and the, the fundamental analysis in your guys' approach? Well, I mean, a lot of what we do is really assessing the quality of communities. So rather than going from this perspective, oh, man, everything's just overvalued in, in crypto. And in, in some cases, it is. But uh, that's not very helpful in deciding whether which project of, say, 10 is most fundamentally sound relative to each other. Because if the whole market is overvalued and, and you expect this market to remain overvalued for six or, or 12 months or whatever, just saying that you're not going to participate at all is not a helpful strategy. So the way that we look at things typically is we dig into Discord channels and telegrams and we actually see what are the characteristics and norms of a particular community. And that's, that's our version of fundamental analysis. So if you go into a community where people are just about pump eventals and, and asking when moon and, and talking about price all the time, that's probably not a high quality community. And those people are financially incentivized to stick around. And when the, when the incentive stops, those people are gone. They're, they're mercenaries. Versus if you go into a community and you pe see people talking about the technical aspects of a project, people trying to build on top of it, it's more developer related discussion. And that usually is a better indicator that this community is salient and will probably be longer lasting than um, one that is more financially financially motivated. So if people are, are in a project for intrinsic reasons or ideological reasons, that's usually what get, can lead to strength relative to other projects and long-term price appreciation. 
Interesting. And then how do you put a value on community? Because we were talking a little bit in our prep call about fundamental analysis versus kind of community analysis. How do you, how do you approach that? Because I think everybody here on this call is kind of novice on putting a dollar value to a community. Um, how do you kind of approach that? And maybe I'll just let you, Mitchell, go <laughs> keep going on that same thread that you were on. Do you want to hop on it, Mitchell? I think you're on mute still. Oh, I thought Anton unmuted himself, <laughs> so I thought he wanted to say something. No. I, I, can, I, can, I can take that. Yeah, so the value is usually cross-referenced. Uh, you, like, you have different uh, types of products, and uh, if you find the early on, you find, let's say, a com competitor to Uniswap, which is uh, just an exchange, uh, a decentralized exchange on Ethereum. If you, if you find such a product early on and you look at it and you see people, like you see builders in there, you can expect this, pro this product to get at least close to the valuation of the original one, right? And that also depends on usage and liquidity provision. So there are quantifiable factors that you can look at, that you can spot early on before they... So your task is basically to uh, find a similar product that already has an audience look at how many users are there, look at the volume, look at the total value locked and cross-reference. So do you expect that this product will reach the same level or at least 50% of that usage and why? Like why would people go from say Uniswap to use that product? Does it provide any incentives? And actually like the, uh, motivation like Mitchell said that uh, people should be incentivized uh, with things other than money most of the time yes but sometimes the right incentives the game theory uh, works beautifully and uh, it just uh, brings projects to, uh, to, to to really high valuations like uh, OHM Olympus DAO, uh, it uh, looked uh, like Ponzinomics to most and still does, but still the tokenomics, the incentive structure worked the way that it created a strong community, which is mostly incentivized by, fi by financial uh, aspect in the first place. But right now I think it became way more with uh, different NFT popping around it. The NFT is sorry popping around it and uh, activity growing to create uh, side projects and projects built on top of OHM. That's great, appreciate that. And then a knock on, and we'll kind of start picking up some of the questions from the chat here from Pat, Pat from da Pat Dougherty, who talked about a community traditional finance might call that network effect. Is how do you do you look at network effect? And Mitchell will go to you for his, uh, to answer this one. Do you look at network effects? Do you try to quantify that? And then another concept that's related is Lindy's law. At what point do you do you find that these things actually become self-sustaining networks in and of themselves? Yeah. So to answer your first question, do we quantify it? Yes. Oftentimes we're using referential valuation. So for example, if you take a benchmark like Uniswap, and you get a value per Discord member or a value per active customer. And you divide that into 
whatever you want. So revenue or market capitalization, and then you can extrapolate that onto a smaller project and try to get some uh, relative valuation on what you think the true value is, and then apply some sort of growth multiple to say, here's what we're going to think it's going to be in the future for, for these reasons. So those are, are one way that you can try to get a, um, like a valuation technique around a project that's community driven. And that kind of just boils down to like, what's the lifetime value of a customer or what's the lifetime value of a community user? How does that translate into providing value to this overall ecosystem? Now, when it comes to the Lindy effect, I find that it is pretty fickle in crypto because the narratives are changing all the time. Like one day it might be privacy coins, next day it's gaming, the next thing it's NFTs. People's attention spans are quite limited. And until a project reaches a certain ubiquity like um, like Bitcoin or Ethereum, you, there's still a risk that it just falls into irrelevance. Like look at XRP, for example, it's kind of out of the spotlight and it's probably, if it doesn't figure out these lawsuit issues, it's going to drop down in the rankings until it's no longer pertinent anymore. In 2017, you saw this with the Bitcoin forks. They're around for many years, like Bitcoin Cash and, and Bitcoin SV, but nobody talks about them anymore. And there's some just very dead projects that have been a lo- around for a long time, like Mem or OneCoin that are just not, people don't even, people don't even remember what those things are. So th- this idea that there is some sort of Lindy effect, I-, I think that it's less about a Lindy effect and more about how ubiquitous has something become. Because one of the barriers that things like Bitcoin and Ethereum establishes, how many exchanges is it li- listed on? Is it used as a liquidity pair against a whole bunch of other stuff. So if you're acting as some sort of infrastructure or plumbing for the overall market, then that's how you can have some sort of staying power beyond just people speculating on your project or, or earning revenue or, or trying to monetize a user base. Because if you're a layer one blockchain, that's kind of your end goal is to be used as some sort of infrastructure. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if you've been around for five years or 10 years, I still think that you can fall into irrelevance. If you try to launch a product, it underdelivers in terms of people's expectations and then it just kind of falls out of the market favor. Well, that's great. Well, I do loathe that we only have 15 minutes for the fireside chat, but they do say uh, keep people wanting more. So we're going to do the first round of breakout rooms because a lot of people are here for the networking. In between the breakout rooms, just so you know, Mitchell and Anton, we will be asking you about trends. What are you seeing? What's exciting? What's something the audience might not be aware of? Um, so that's always the same question, but Housekeeping items for the breakout rooms. First off, this is a networking event, not a pitch event. Please be respectful of that and be kind to one another. Shouldn't have to say it. Uh, no participant list. It, we don't, for privacy reasons, send out everybody who's here or their details. So if you find somebody you want to connect with, do it then and there. But then also we do have a Telegram group that you can join. It's pretty active and great for, uh, you know, introduce yourself and ask for something. Uh, Isla, do you want to talk about uh, breakout rooms? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll pop you into rooms in just a minute. You will have about 10 minutes with each other. It'll be five, six people in each room. And uh, I'll give you a topic. Feel free to completely ignore it and we're off into your own direction. But uh, just for the first kind of kickoff, how would you value a community in crypto? All the time you spent in different Telegram groups, et cetera, how would you value a community in crypto? So I'm going to pop you into rooms now and we'll have you back here in about 10. All right. Welcome back, one and all. Hopefully you enjoyed your breakout room. Um, as promised, while Isla shuffles everybody around for round two of the breakout rooms, we're going to ask the same question. Uh, Mitchell, maybe we'll go to you first, and uh, you're probably muted. Uh, trends, what do you see that's really got you excited in the crypto space, things you're working on? Just open-ended question, just something that maybe the audience hasn't stumbled across thus far. 
So I'm going to start with what I'm not excited about is I don't think that uh, when people think of NFTs, they, they typically think of like, oh, profile pictures or people spending $100 million on rocks or something. But that's not the exciting part of NFTs that I think is really interesting. I think that these um, second layer use cases are where there's going to be a lot of value generated and where kind of things are going to go from a trends perspective. So things like using NFTs to facilitate gaming and like digital economies in that sense, beyond just uh, that you own like some sort of profile picture. The second part of that is using uh, NFTs as a way of like access to membership. So Board Ape Yacht Club is kind of the most obvious example of that. CryptoPunks are another, but using an NFT to signify some sort of belonging to a larger social group and having those tokens be the way that those communities are gated. So it's kind of a different way to create a subscription product that hasn't really been tested before. You have this tradable item and there's a finite supply of them and people can get access to some sort of exclusive club through ownership of that. Um, outside of NFTs, areas that I think are really interesting are layer two scaling for Ethereum. Um, there's a lot of innovation that's happening around that right now with like Polygon and Matic, Polygon slash Matic and other competitors trying to uh, obviously compete with Ethereum because of the ridiculous gas fees. Like you have Solana, you have uh, Avalanche, you have Cosmos, all these players are trying to take a bite out of this market of who's going to be the, the preeminent layer one. And right now people think that the competition is around fees, but I think that it's a little bit more nuanced than that because there's a lot of other considerations like how many users do you have on your platform? So even if your fees are a lot lower, if you don't have customer base, a customer base or reach like you do on Ethereum, it doesn't really matter. Um, and the other part of that is tooling. How easy is it to build stuff on top of these layer one platforms? So we're going to probably see an explosion in tooling companies. Um, for Ethereum, you have things like Truffle that are building developer tools. But I imagine that on Solana and these other uh, alternative layer ones, we're going to see an explosion in companies that are, that are building better developer tools and infrastructure like AIDS for building on top of that and for DAP development. Mm. The final area that I think has a lot of promise is we're seeing, it's kind of, it's not in the market spotlight. And I don't think that's gonna be a trend from a retail perspective, but we're seeing a lot of innovation in the privacy sector when it comes to like ZK rollups and um, like innovations. Like we had the first le level of like Zcash and Monero that are standalone, like, payment coins that provide a higher level of security, but now we're starting to see some of those protocols baked in directly to Ethereum and other layer ones with, with using like ZK proofs to find ways to obfuscate and make transactions more private. And I think that's particularly important when you start getting more sophisticated ways to track people on, on these uh, blockchain platforms, because unlike in the real world where a lot of your financial interactions are siloed on a blockchain. It could be possible to trace everything that you do through one chain of interactions. And that is quite problematic because uh, there certainly will be privacy and tax concerns that are going to arise as regulators gain more clarity on what's going to be the treatment around these assets. Are they securities or not securities? How are we going to tax different things? And people are going to find clever ways to avoid those um, taxes and restrictions as well. So it's going to be a cat and mouse game for a while. 
I love it. And neither here nor there, but at one of these days, whenever we get around to it, we are going to do a diffuse tap NFT badge to your point about the ownership thing. And everybody who shows up actually gets one. One day we'll do that. Anton, real quick, anything, any trends um, that you wanted to flag that, that Mitchell didn't touch on yet? Uh, yeah, for infrastructure, just a couple of uh, words uh, uh, into that. So infrastructure is really important, uh, but people do not necessarily understand why. Like, for example, on Solana, you would, they would tell you that uh, the throughput is like sub-second uh, finality transaction and the throughput is like 50k transactions a second. But the thing is that uh, the remote procedure call servers uh, are uh, public rate limited which means that after a hundred calls you get uh, like you cannot use the service anymore and that's where it gets really complicated so you have a very fast network but there is no infrastructure to support that Uh, so yeah uh, it's important to understand where infrastructure is necessary and where it makes sense so when uh, evaluating these uh, like the new projects in this uh, regard like uh, infra for, for gaming infra for nfts you always need to imagine like what does it mean for the end user like will it improve their uh, user experience if yes then it may be it may be a good uh, a good bet great thank you isla you might be muted were you about to do breakout rooms yeah that is correct i was muted I was going to pop you all into rooms now. We'll make it a little bit of a short one and I'll bring you back just a minute or so before the end of the session. And the final question here is for you guys to share some of the more interesting hot opportunities you've seen. What are some of the crypto projects that you believe could actually have really high potential over the next six months or so? Feel free to share with each other. I'll pop you into rooms now. Hope. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? That is my piss poor time management. So hopefully you guys got a little bit out of it in the uh, eight or so minutes you had. Um, but we are going to do a quick wrap up and ran right at the top of the hour. So to this, there, that. Um, so next week, like I said, we do this every week. Oh, wait. Also, happy Thanksgiving to everybody who is celebrating it tomorrow, because I know that's uh has not been mentioned thus far. But anyways, next week, investing in ecosystems. Um, so very uh, similar uh, kind of feel in some ways, but also very different to what we talked about today. Um, we are uh, diffuse. Uh, the next fund we likely will launch is a Web3 um, venture capital seed fund. Um, it probably won't be overly small. And we are um, actively looking to kind of fill out our GP roster. So if you know anybody that is very active in play to earn, um, I think one of our speakers, uh, Mitchell in particular, talked about that, play to earn infrastructure and seed opportunities. Um, Do not be shy about sending them. We're actively looking to build out the team. And then also we do have the Telegram group, the chats, the links in the chat, as well as in the follow-up emails. Join us, introduce yourself and ask for Summit. Uh, Isla, anything that I missed? Oh, you are muted, my my good yeah. lady. I'll uh, I'll just remind everybody to show up in Miami next week on the thirtieth to have a drink with Will and Kenny. Um, and if you don't happen to be in town, we also have another round in New York happening on the 9th of December. So if you're in New York, beginning of December, let me know, and I can add you to the invite. And with that, uh, Mitchell and Anton, thank you so much for donating some of your thoughts to the uh, the swine, as it were. And everybody else, thanks for coming out and uh, sharing your time and networking a little bit. And we hope to see you same uh, bat time next week. 
Have a great one. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Keep Kenny in mind. Thank you. Miami, though. Bye. He's going to keep down here in the warm weather. So there you go. with everybody. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> You've been listening to Diffuse Tab with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.